The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. We're going off the rails outside the box. How's this for a guest? I've got one of the biggest selling musicians of all time. who sold the most records, over 100 million records. He is a virtuoso of his instrument. He is the man who holds the Guinness Book of World Records title for the longest single note ever played on a saxophone for 45 minutes. I'm talking about the curly-haired Kenny G. That's right. This week, it's curly-haired Kenny week on Talk is Jericho. Kenny Omega on Friday. And Kenny G here today. And you might think, Kenny G, how did that happen? Uh, funny story, I was connected with Meatloaf. I remember if you heard the Meatloaf interview a few um, months ago. And then the same uh, amazing publicist, Caitlin DeForest, then asked me, would you like to do Kenny G? I was like, uh, yeah, Kenny G, are you kidding me? The, one, the biggest selling saxophone player of all time. One of the biggest selling musicians of all time, like I said. Unbelievable. He's played with Celine Dion, Whitney Houston. He made his professional debut while he was still in high school as part of R&B legend Barry White's band. Kenny's also huge in China. One of his songs is Bigger Than Happy Birthday in China. You hear all about that. He also, he's got an OG rock and roll story about his debut appearance on the Johnny Carson show and how it nearly cost him his entire career very 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 cool stuff Kenny is a rocker I love this guy he's got some great stories about touring and eating in China and wait to hear a couple of the bands that he hopes to one day do sax solos for you won't believe it uh, one of them might even be Fozzie but I think it would be amazing if and when it happens it's funny too because when I showed up he's got a beautiful mansion in Malibu as you can imagine Never met him before, pulled up at the gate, uh, buzzed, he buzzed me in and he came to the door and then he's like, hey, are you that Chris Jericho? And I was like, yeah. He goes, I thought it was another Chris Jericho. I didn't realize it was you. So he's also a wrestling fan as well. And we were just in the same hotel in China a few weeks before this. So it's a great conversation with a guy that I just met up with and hit off right, hit it off with right away. Ever get that where you meet somebody and just instantly have a, a connection with them? Great to be uh, in Kenny G's house and great to get to know him. Great, great guy and a great interview. One of my favorites, actually. So he's coming up. But first, a quick reminder to please sign up for the new talk is jericho automated email system so that you can get all the info about this podcast along with every new episode delivered directly to your inbox just go to podcast1.com slash jericho podcast1.com slash jericho get all the information sign up it's like uh, being part of the talk is jericho fan club so go check that out and also check out diamond dallas page and ddpy all right and it's the perfect time to get your health and fitness on track for 2017 
Dallas is making it absolutely very easy, not only with his DDPY program, but also with this tremendous deal he's offering to get you involved. Right now, you get 25% off all DDPY merch and swag, okay? And if that's not enough, when you buy a max pack or a combo pack, you'll get a second one for 50% off the price that's already 25% off. So you're paying like 25% for a second max pack or combo pack. That's the kind of deals you're getting at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. And yeah, when you buy the DDPY DVDs, you also get three months for free of the DDP Yoga Now app. You know what DDPY has done for me and what it's done for Jake the Snake, Scott Hall, Kane, AJ Styles, RVD, Mick Foley, Corey Taylor, Rich Ward, uh, Gary Holt, so many others. They're all doing the DDPY program. Program and why not? I got in the best physical and mental condition of my life uh, from doing this. I'm the new U.S. champion uh, at 46 years old. Don't have any issues at all because of DDP Yoga. This really works. I'm a walking, living, breathing proof of this. And with the app, you can do DDPY anytime, anyplace, anywhere, right from your phone or tablet. And the app not only lets you do all the workouts right from your phone, it's also got a bunch of other cool special features to keep you on that path to healthy living, all right? And DDP Yoga Now app subscribers won't ever get bored doing the same workouts over and over again because DDP has added completely new 2.0 workouts and weekly live workouts from the DDP yoga performance center speedway and i went and visited the performance center a couple weeks ago in smyrna georgia and what an amazing amazing facility it is it's basically the headquarters of all ddpy um, business and also live workouts and all that sort of stuff you should go check it out uh, and also check it out like i said on the on the ddpy app Amazing stuff. And like I said, you get 25% off all DDPY merch and DVDs. And you can get a second max pack or combo pack for 50% off that uh, price that's already 25% off. So it's the biggest sale ever on the DDPY program. So take advantage of it. Get on the path to healthier living today. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's all you got to do to take advantage of this great deal. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Change your life today. Get in the best shape of your life mentally, physically, all the way across the board. DDPY is going to take you there. Talk is Jericho. All right, so through a really cool set of uh, circumstances, I am here at the uh, amazing house of Kenny G, <laughs> which is funny because it's it, like as soon as your publicist said, would you like to talk to Kenny? I'm like, absolutely, because I think everyone knows that you're like a household name, whether you know the actual songs or music or whatever. Everyone knows Kenny G. Yeah, well, I think they know my music. Um, and they, put, I think they know my hair. I was going to say and that. my music. Your hair really <laughs> makes you stand out, right? I guess so. Yeah, I was just flying back from, we were talking about being in China. I just flew back a night before last. Uh-huh. And there's a guy sitting in front of me. So I, the flight attendant comes up and she, and I don't see the guy. She leans down to him and she says, I am such a huge fan of yours. You know, I've been listening to music forever and I'm thinking, who's in sitting in front of me? Then she kind of opens her eyes. She, I think she was looking at the ground. She opens her eyes and she was told the wrong chair. She was she was trying to tell me. And she looks at me and she goes, you don't look like Kenny G. Where's your where's all your hair? And then I said, I'm back here. Have you always had like long hair like that? Well, I had it since of um about 11th grade. Okay. Um, when you have curly hair, it looks really bad or really good. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to grow it out. Like if if you have it in an in between 
length, it looks really, really lousy. So, right, right, right. So you, if short, it's fine. Yeah. And if you start to grow it out, it looks really bad for a long time. And my hair looked terrible for a while. And then finally, it's You get that phase where it's too long to be short and too short to be long. Exactly. It's just like you got to wear like a headband or a hat all the time. I was just, I was kind of a nerd anyway. So I didn't, I wasn't really popular. <laughs> I didn't have a girlfriend. Not that I didn't want one, but I sure. there, was, there was no way I could ever have a girlfriend when I was like in 10th or 11th grade. I never had a girlfriend in high school either. Gosh, I know. Such people think it's so weird, but it's just like I just didn't know what to do. You know, I think of it as an advantage now because I I see, well, actually, both of my kids did not have girlfriends through high school, and they really did well in school. Mm-hmm. So they weren't didn't have the distractions. And I've seen the other friends that have had girlfriends, and they are distracted and they don't do as well in school. So. And I don't think it's a disadvantage to be to I, not have a girlfriend. Especially when you're younger too. And I, I was heard this advice actually. I watched this movie years ago. Paul Stanley said something like, "If you want to make it and be famous, you can't have a girlfriend in the early days. It's too hard to, yeah. you know, you're traveling around or you got to go do a gig for you know 4 a.m. or whatever it may be." Yeah. And I, I always kept that in mind when I was first starting out wrestling. I didn't have a girlfriend, kind of to quote unquote tie me down. Not that I had a lot of options, anyways, but it really <laughs> helped in those years. Well, because you can really practice. I mean, yes. you're practicing your wrestling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think of all the, the workout hours mm-hmm. you have to put in, right? And if you think, well, you know, I, I, w- I would work out two hours, but I can only work out 45 minutes because I have to go and take my girlfriend to the yeah, yeah, where yeah, yeah. And so I, I was the same way. I just practiced five hours a day, four hours a day for years and years and years. And I never even... I never thought about that there was other options. <laughs> yeah, there's something else no, going on. I out wanted there. other options, but I just didn't have the chance. <laughs> were you growing your hair out? You said like in 11th grade, which is probably late 60s, early 70s, somewhere around then. Were you a rock guy, or was just everybody had long hair at that point? I was not a rock guy. I grew up in Seattle, which doesn't mean I wasn't a rock guy, mm-hmm. but I grew up in this um, area that was a really kind of a funny area. It was a lot of, um, there was a lot of Asian, a lot of black and Jewish. Mm. So it was almost about half, one third each of those categories. So when I went to school, we really listened a lot to, to R&B music. Mm-hmm. We weren't rock and roll guys. Right. And so I never really got into it. I got into R&B music. And that's, like what kind of stuff? We were listening to Tower Power. We are listening to Barry White. Mm. Um, who else? Grover Washington Jr. was my sax idol because he was playing more like a soulful kind of sax. Right. Um, Talking about bands that had horn sections, basically. Blood, Sweat, and Tears I liked. They had a horn section. Chicago, Chicago. I liked that horn section. When uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire came Earth, out. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Loved with the Earth, Wind, and Fire. So, yeah, those were kind of like the bands I listened to. So, so, so the technical instrument that you're famous for playing is an alto sax or tenor sax? Soprano sax. Soprano sax. The straight one. That's so t- what... tell us the difference between the three. Well, okay, good question. You know, technically... Not much difference. They all play the same. The fingering's the same. They sound different. The tenor's bigger and has a deeper sound. The alto's in between, and the soprano's got more of a, of a, of a, of a higher sound. But mm. I mean, I can't. It's hard to describe in words what, sure, what they do. You. They, they it's just different tones. Different tones depending on the yeah. size. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it's all with the uh, with the woodwind instruments. Correct. Is 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 it the embouchure? Is it, what's the correct term for like the, the? That's correct. Because I used to play trombone. Yeah. So it's kind of a similar thing, but the brass instrument you're blowing into the mouthpiece. Right. You had the reed. Yeah, you've got a buzz sound going. You got a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we just blow with the reed doing the vibrating. I remember I never wanted to play reed because it was so gross you had to change the reeds. And there was always like saliva in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I, and then you look at the brass players and you got all these drops of spit coming out of your valves. You got to open the valves. That was gross. And I hated that. So so now that, that you know you're you're an arena act, a stadium act, a big act, do you have like a roadie that changes the reeds for you, like oh, changing no. guitar strings? Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance. Yeah, it's, it's a hands-on thing. I have to do everything, which mm. is fine. I mean, I should. Sure. Um, 
and I I rarely even let people carry my sax cases. Really? I just do it myself. Yeah, it's one of those things. When you travel, do you carry your saxes with you? I do. I do. I, I mean, I can. The problem with the airlines is they won't. They really they're becoming sticklers for this two carry on rule. Mm-hmm. So I always have. A, I have a bag. Okay, like everybody has a carry bag on the on the flight. You have your computer in it, your telephone, whatever else you have in there. Your wallets, yeah. your passport. Okay, so I have that. But then I have a sack, so that's my two. Mm-hmm. So if I take two sacks, I have three. And I mean, eight times out of 10, no problem. Two times out of 10, huge problem. Really? You're not getting on with that. I said, yeah, but you know, I fly, I've got like 5 million miles. I'm, I fly American all the time. Sure. So, I'm, so I said, look, I'm, look at, I got the card that says I'm like one of your like triple platinum. We, you can't. I said, okay. So I go to the back of the line. I said, does anybody want to be my friend for a minute? And <laughs> most people look at me and go, who is this guy? And then somebody goes, hey, I really like your music. I said, do you have an extra hand? Yes. Carry the sax for me. <laughs> and then we walk on and then the, then the flight person says, do you know this person? And they go, yes. Do you, are you doing this voluntarily? Yes. And then I get on the flight. And Isn't that crazy? It's like, it's going to get on anyway. Come on. It's so funny. Kenny G, most famous saxophone <laughs> guy, has to have someone carry on his saxophone for that reason. Yeah. Know? And, and it really, it's, I, I feel bad too. Cause then it's, you got all these bad vibes going, you know, mm-hmm. like somebody's getting mad at you and they're, they're like skeptical. How come you, you know, I don't like that. I just wish they would just let me just sure. carry them on. There, there's going to be room somewhere. I mean, I mean, and, and not that you would ever ask for me. Give this, give me, give the guy a pass. It's Kenny G. He's got two saxophones. Yeah, you know, you, know? you, you do that, and then <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't want to do say that. Unfortunately, yeah. do you know who I am? That's the worst thing you could ever. Worst say. thing in the world. Let me ask you this: So you're talking about like a guitar player who would collect, let's say, you know, like a '59 uh, Les Paul, which is mm. like the most expensive guitar. Is it like that for saxophones as well? Is there certain ones that are more expensive, maybe older or yeah. classic ones? There are. The, there's um, the Selmer Mark Sixes are considered the premium ones, and they were made in the '50s ish. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, those are the horns I have. I just got them when I was a, when I was a kid. I've had the same saxes since I was oh, in high school. Wow. Yeah, they just happened to be Mark sixes. Wow. And so, and they were, you know, fairly expensive back then. Well, my soprano only cost me three hundred bucks, but it's probably worth like twelve grand now. Well, and add on the fact that you're playing it. Well, maybe that's a lot. Yeah, more well, I'm not going to ever sell it. But, yeah, sure. But all the horns, like the, the, yeah, but they're, I don't know. I think. I think some guys collect saxes. I don't collect them. Mm-hmm. I have the three saxes that I play. I have an alto, a tenor, a soprano. I have a couple of spares that just in case that I've never used ever, but they're there, and that's it. That's basically. But these are the same ones that you play. Same ones. So you've never had saxophones stolen or anything like that. No. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Because that happens quite a bit in rock and roll. People will steal guitars, or oh. you hear like a famous guitar gets ripped off, and then someone finds it in a pawn shop a year later or something that along sucks, those lines, man. right? Yeah, that's that would be horrible. Um, but they never they're never really out of my sight. That's they're always the thing, right? with me, and they're either in my hotel room or they're on stage with me or they're in my ba- my dressing room. And if I ever leave my dressing room, there's always somebody watching it because I don't want anyone going in messing with my horns. That's like uh, Slash's top hat. Is that no, right? It never leaves his sight, and if it does, he has a uh, his his guy that takes it's either him or this guy that has that top hat at all times and it, and that particular top hat he can't get a replacement for that's a top the hat? original it's, it's just like saying you can't get a replacement for your oh, side no that's i you know what i think you could he could get it made perfectly and it would be I'm fine sure, but you know how it is i guess that's the one sentimental the reason. exactly sentimental yeah. once again good vibes yeah good memories all i guess that sort so of stuff right when you started playing sax um was there a big r&b scene in seattle because you always know about the hendrix and then the grunge and heart and yeah Queensryche, but is there a big music scene uh R&B style in There, there was actually in the 70s, mm-hmm. so like mid-70s, there was this, a lot of, um, we were like Earth, Wind & Fire type bands. 
uh, lead singers, horn section, funky music, and there was a bunch of sac- uh, of bands playing in Seattle. Mm. We, I, I was in a band called Cold, Bold, and Together. There was a band called Cook and Bag. There was a band called Black and White Affair. Um, there was a uh, there was a but maybe three or four more, and we all played. There was only a couple of black clubs, and we mm. would all play them over and over, recycle uh, recycle over and over those clubs, but. Um, there was no money in it. But the thing about those type of bands, too, if you're talking about an R&B band, or if you're mentioning, let's say, like a Santana or something like mm-hmm. that, it was a mixed race bands. Yes, we were. And that was not really that prevalent until that time frame with yeah. that style of music. You yeah, know? In the 70s, that's when it started to happen. Yeah. I was the, when I joined the band Cold Bolton Together, they were, they were an all-black band. And I, reluctantly... For some of the guys in the band, I was part of the band. Oh, yeah! Like half the guys wanted me, and half the guys didn't want me because I wasn't I wasn't black. Right, right, right. And they got kind of got that, I grew on them. They got used <laughs> to me having being in the band. But I was. We had one Asian guy, Philip Wu. Philip Wu played keyboards, sax me, and then the rest of the guys were black. black dudes. Yeah, because you played with Barry White too, right? I did. Was that another band that had some white guys and some black guys? Well, that black dudes. It was well. The whole rhythm section was black, mm-hmm. and then. What they would do is they would go around from city to city. They would pick up an orchestra. So the orchestra was just like the Seattle Symphony Orchestra, m- mostly white guys. Mm-hmm. So they'd be in the back playing, but the but the core group was black. And then they had they had a sax soloist. And the reason I got the gig is because I guess their guy got sick or just couldn't make it. And I, I'm assuming he was another one of the black guys that played with Barry White. Mm-hmm. And then they they uh, came to Seattle and they were desperate for a sax player. And I was in high school still, and my band director. Happened to talk to the guy that was putting this band, putting the show together for Barry White, and he says, "Well, there's I got this kid in my high school band that can do it." Right. Um, but yeah, he said, "Yeah, no, but he's got to be a soulful player." Well, I was, <laughs> and he's got to be able to read music. Well, I could. So the 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 white guys in Seattle that played sax could not play soulful. The the black guys in Seattle that could play soulful didn't know how to read music. Mm. I knew how to do, I was the guy that could do both. Mm-hmm. So I got the, the gig, and when I walked onto the bandstand, I mean, I was, in, in, let's see, in my senior year of high school, I don't even know if I weighed 100 pounds. I mean, I was really, really skinny, and not too tall. I was probably 5'7 or something, and they looked at this little kid coming onto the stage, and they go, you're playing the sax? Oh, no, they were so skeptical. But I, but I killed the part too. Nice. I killed, I killed the solos, killed everything, and and uh, and that was the start of my professional career because that was the first time I got paid to play, oh. and I also got confidence to know that if I can sit in with Barry White's guys, there these are pros, and if they're impressed with me and they're telling me I'm a good player, then I think that I could just keep doing this and maybe I can have a career. Right, right. Because you said guys playing with Barry White, they're all killers. They were, yeah, but yeah. I mean, they were pros. I I had never played with professional musicians before. I would just play with my high school band. Mm-hmm, it's the first mm-hmm. time I ever played with pros. I was like, <laughs> what was Barry White like to, to work for? Oh with? well, he you know he barely knew I existed. <laughs> I I I don't think he spoke. Didn't even I didn't have a conversation. Was it just with one him. gig? Three or gigs. Three gigs. So you're just... Seattle, Portland, and and uh, Vancouver. Okay. So we made it to Canada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as long as you don't screw up. The you're you're doing a good That's job. That's right. Yeah, I got three gigs. First way. was Portland. Uh, then we went to Vancouver, and then Seattle was last. So Seattle, what happened, which was cool, was that all the um, people in my high school, which I told you we were went to an R&B. It was a very uh, it was an interracial high school. So when Barry White came to town, like everybody went to see the show. Mm-hmm. So now they, they I stand up and they're going. 
isn't that that nerdy kid that <laughs> walks around the hallway with his saxophones all the time? Well, I went back to school and I was a, I was a, a big a bona fide a hero. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, guys are that were that would wouldn't give me the time of day or like talking to me and I'm cool now. <laughs> it was awesome. See, so you're talking about playing like in a horn section in a band and there's some great ones and even talking about the dudes who played with the Stones, you know, Bobby, I can't remember what his last name is, but but what prompted you to go out on your own? Uh, mm. You're playing with Barry White and playing with the bands that you played with, and then suddenly you go into the solo career. Well, it started because uh, because I did some gigs in Seattle. I started with Barry White, then I was in my band Cold Bolden together playing mm. around. But I also did lots of other shows that came to town. I did, um, let's see, I played with Sammy Davis Jr. Mm. I played with, uh, uh, well, the Ice Capades would come to town, and they put together, I played the Ice Capades band. I was in the Seattle Seahawks band, you know, oh, the pep band. Yeah. So lots of, I was working a lot. And so, you know, there was maybe four or five sax players in Seattle that would work. And so you, everybody knew each other. Well, there was a guy in Portland, Oregon that, that had a band called the Jeff Lorber Fusions, a guy named Jeff Lorber. Jeff Lorber was a keyboard player and he had a record deal with Clive Davis for this band he called the, that he was called the Jeff Lorber Fusion. And his sax player quit, and he needed a new sax player. He didn't like any of the sax players in Portland, Oregon. So he... Now, remember, there's no internet, no computers. So there's no way to look up guys. Yeah. So he had just heard my name somehow, and he somehow gets a message to me. I don't know how he could call me, because, you know, we didn't have cell phones. Maybe so call a club or something. He or, might he call my house or, or something. Right. I don't know. But So I get a message that... Jeff Lorber. So I call him up. I, I don't know who Jeff Lorber is. I, how can I know? <laughs> There's I don't know anything. So. Portland to Seattle might as well be a million miles yeah. away in a lot of ways. So right? I went to a record store. I went to a record store. That's that in itself is <laughs> crazy. That statement right there dates and, everything. And I said, "Do you guys have any records by this guy named Jeff Lorber?" And they go, "Who? Jeff Lorber?" They start. Oh yeah, here's a. So I take the record home. I put it on my record player and I play it and I listen to it and I go, "I like this guy. He's kind of jazzy and he's funky." So he says, why don't you come down and audition for my band? So I drove down to Portland, auditioned, and he liked me, and that's how I got the job. So five years of playing with Jeff Lorber as his sax player. Just touring around. Touring and, around. Yeah. Touring around like driving a van around the country, which we did, and, and I loved it. I made like 100 bucks a week, and right. it, it wasn't about the money. But that's paying your dues, man. Yeah, yeah. and I didn't have a girlfriend, <laughs> right. so I could do whatever I wanted. Well, Stanley was right. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then so going to New York, you know, time after time, Clive Davis would watch his, his artist, Jeff Lorber. Well, his artist, Jeff Lorber, had a sax player that would stand out and play solos all the time, which was me. And then... Five years later, Clive Davis says, hey, um, would you be interested in a solo career? Hmm. And that's how I got my solo Interesting. career. Interesting. Yeah. So Clive kind of had the foresight to think this guy could do something. Yeah. Because instrumental saxophone, I guess, kind of smooth jazz stuff, it's not the most, at the time, was not like the, no. there's not a lot of guys doing that. Well, there was no word of smoke called smooth jazz at the time. Oh. Smooth jazz started in 19... 19- I, I should know. I, I pretty much started it. <laughs> it started in 1986. Like, wow. We're talking about like 1981, 82. So in 1982, he's just thinking, I, he's watching me play with Jeff Lorber. People are reacting to the way I play. I'm enjoying myself. And they said, would well, you want to make your own record? So sure. So Jeff Lorber then produced my first record. And it ended up honestly sounding like a Jeff Lorber record, mm-hmm. which was okay. But I kind of wanted to just kind of do something that was me. So I quit Jeff Lorber after that. It was a big step. And he was super mad, mm. super mad at me. Um, he was hurt more. I, mean, I think he was hurt more than mad. Yeah, yeah. Came across as anger. But most of the time, anger is really just kind of hurt. Well, plus, he's losing his 
star player well, kind of thing too, yeah, right? Maybe that was it, but I think it was more of that he was just kind of like, he was more of a mentor and then I'm saying, listen, bro, I, I need to get out and do my own thing yeah, yeah, yeah. and I don't want you to produce my records anymore. So anyway, I did my own uh, second record and it, w- it was actually pretty successful. The first record sold like 40,000 mm-hmm. and the second record sold like 250,000 so back in those days. Yeah. So then we're doing well and then so... The third record only sold another like fifty thousand, and then and so now I'm. I, but the thing that that was cool was that the, Clive Davis and Arista Records stuck by me, even though I, they weren't making any money. The, they, not that they were giving me a ton of money to make the records, but by the time the record costs and all that stuff was was incurred. There wasn't a lot of profit, so they weren't making money, and yet they stuck with me. They didn't drop me. Mm-hmm. So the fourth record comes around, and now they get this big idea. Again, there's no smooth jazz yet. This is still like 1985. There's no ra- radio stations playing instrumental music. It's Here's what you have. You have black stations playing R&B music, and at midnight they change the format to what's called Quiet Storm. Quiet Storm was the format where they would play softer mm-hmm. R&B, which they would include some instrumental music of guys like Grover Washington Jr., and they would play some of my music because it was it had like good grooves, but it wasn't too jazzy for their mm, yeah, listeners. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, so that was the, really the only options. So then the, the Arista Records gets this idea that I need to play and make an album of R&B music with, with singers and sax solos. So a bunch of singers, and I, and I go, you know, what is that? Everybody's going to think I'm the singer. Well, that's the only way we can get you air, radio airplay. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't like it at all. Uh, and I had already written a whole bunch of instrumentals, one of them being the song Songbird. I wrote it. And so I played them the music I wanted to put out, and they go, no, 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 we need to, we need to, we need to make music that the 15-year-old kids in the ghetto can groove to. Those were his words. Not Clive, it was his guy. Yeah. And I looked at him, I go... You realize I'm Jewish and I'm from Seattle. <laughs> what do I know about 15-year-old kids in the, <laughs> in the ghetto? ghetto? Come on, seriously, let's be let's be like like uh, you know, not, I don't want to be a hypocrite here. Mm-hmm. I said, and I said, guess what? Let's let's just part ways. I said to them, let's part ways. I'm going to go find a record deal somewhere else. This isn't working out. I don't want to do that kind of record. So they said, look, why don't you just go to San Francisco and work with this guy named Narada Michael Walden and, we, and do a song that Junior Walker did called What Does It Take to Win Your Love? And it's, a, it's an R&B vocal, but it's half sax. I listened to the song. I go, well, you know, I could do that. So I did that, made the record, finished the record. That's the single. It comes out and starts to do really well. And we've sold like three or 400,000 records. Mm-hmm. And everybody's super excited about this record. I'm not. Yeah. Because it's like... It's not your tune. No, it's not your thing, yeah. Not my thing at all. And so finally, uh, I get a shot on the Johnny Carson show. Wow. Because I had a manager. I sought out this manager. I said, he was George Benson's manager. And George Benson was the most successful instrumentalist of all time. A guitar player. Yeah, guitar yeah. player. Sold three million records. He's a superstar. So I said, man, he's an instrumentalist? I want his manager. So I went and found his manager. I said, would you manage me? He goes, who are you? <laughs> I said, well, you know, come watch me play. And so he comes to watch me play. He goes, okay, I, I want to manage you. I said, but, but bro, I said, bro, I got no money. He goes, ah, you'll pay me later. We'll work it out. So he manages me for free and he gets me a shot on the Johnny Carson show. So I'm on Johnny Carson, getting ready to play and I'm supposed to play the single. So I have a singer. He's sitting there waiting to go on. And they said, well, you know, you do your single, but then way at the end of the show, we'll let you do your instrumental. I said, okay, I'm going to do this song called Songbird. Great. We, and they said, we don't care, honestly. It's, yeah. we're, going to be, we're going to credits. We're going off the it's air. It's like whatever. 20 seconds. 20 whatever. seconds yeah, yeah. of it, yeah. So then the, the curtain's about to go up, and they come back and say, listen, sorry, you only, you only do the one song. We're running late, so you're not going to do your second song, so do it. 
okay, now I've got about, about a minute. I look to the guys, I go, don't play, sorry. I said, look at the singer, I said, bro, sorry, man. This is my, it's my show. I, we're going to do the instrumental. We're going to do wow. it. You're going to do that. Don't, don't pay attention to whatever they said. Play Songbird. And this is live TV. Yeah. So no, no, remember, you know, the wardrobe malfunction five minute thing? Yeah. That didn't exist then. Didn't yeah, the, happen then. Yeah, there's no uh, uh, seven second delay if no. you swear or whatever. And, yeah. and because people didn't swear then. It, mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't part of the, you of know, the you lexicon, were. Yeah. No. So well, let me ask you, who's yeah. in your band at this point in time? Do you, like, do you, not names wise, but who, do you have a, is it another saxophone player? Or no. Drum? It's I just you. Keyboard. Okay. Ba- you know, uh, uh, guitar, drums, bass. That's it. Okay. So you're telling the boys, like, we're doing yeah. software. Well, yeah. And, they, and they're just my guys. We've yeah, been playing yeah, together a while. Yeah. Curtain goes up. By the way, I'd never been on TV before. Never. So I don't even know what to expect. I'm thinking there must be an audience now since the rehearsal. <laughs> Curtain goes up. All I see is lights, cameras. I can't see any people back there. It's just this weird vibe. Like, I've never done it before. It's like, oh, man, this sucks. Oh I hate this look, but whatever. <laughs> and Okay, so the guys start playing Songbird, and the guy that hired me, I see his face. He's, like, behind one of the cameras, like, looking at me like, what the... Like, F, are you doing? And he's like holding his fist up in the air, like shaking his fist at me, gives me the finger while I'm playing this beautiful instrumental. He's giving me his finger, he's giving me, you know, like like when they cut you off on the song, they they're, they go slice in the, slice throat. In the yeah. throat thing. And he's doing this. So I finished playing Songbird and I played great. I thought I really, <laughs> I was so happy with it. I looked over at Johnny Carson, he kind of gives me an okay sign. He's oblivious to all of this stuff. Yeah, he doesn't know what's going on. doesn't even on. know who I am, probably. They're probably saying, ah, some kid's playing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I get backstage, and the guy runs back in my room, and he goes, how dare you take advantage of this opportunity? We don't we don't put instrumentalists on this. We only did it because your manager forced us, and now you make me look stupid and blah, blah, blah. Okay, you're never working in this town again, the same thing. You'll never be on the show again, and that's the end of that, blah, blah, blah. And I I said to him, I said, listen, I'm so sorry, but it's my one shot. I mean, I've been watching Johnny Carson since I was a kid. Yeah. I have to do that. That's my, I mean, I got to play my sax. He goes, well, whatever. And so the, so then that was a Friday. So Monday morning, I get a call from Clive. I'm going, gulp. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I didn't support the band. The singer, he goes, you know, Kenny, he goes, Kenny, you know, uh, we were talking in the office and uh, we've decided to switch singles to this, to the instrumental. It's getting great feedback. Wow. I went, Holy crap. <laughs> awesome. So they, they uh, now Songbird is the single, and it becomes a big, huge hit. But dude, just the hit. balls that you had I to know. do that split-second decision. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I could do that today. Right, yeah. I don't think I could. Because you were young and, yeah, and dumb nothing and to lose. crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, I did the Tonight Show once with uh, with Jay Leno, and same thing as you. I've been watching since I was a kid. Yeah. Carson's one of my heroes. And I only had like a, I think it was a five minute spot. Yeah. But I was like, I'm just going to keep talking. I'm not going to let him get the chance to, to cut me off. And of course, I'm telling fun stories and I got the, you know, I don't know how to do it. Like like you like you just said, you know how to perform. Yeah. yeah. They ended up giving me nine minutes because <sighs> it went so good. But good. I was like, the bo- like I was, I'm just going for it. Yeah. I'm not waiting. Well, I'm you taking... have a you have a good personality, so I could see why they would it want worked. you to do it. Yeah. yeah. But like you said, the, I, this is my chance and I got to take it. Yeah. If I don't try... I could just fall by the wayside and I'll never be here again. I'm sure you've done the Tonight Show dozens of times since then. They, they asked me back six months later, same guy. <laughs> and I got to, I got couch. I sat and actually oh, talked to Johnny Carson. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I sat right next to Doc Severinsen. Oh, wow. And it was the coolest thing because, I mean, Doc Severinsen yeah. is like a hero. And then uh, they were going to commercial and, and, they, and they, uh, they started playing this, this very famous jazz tune called Killer Joe. If you're a jazz player, you know what song Killer <laughs> Joe is. And then they start playing it and I recognize it and Doc Severinsen says, 
go ahead, Kenny, take a, take us out. And I started playing the tune. It was like, whoa, I'm, I can't believe this is happening to me. It was the coolest thing. Because yeah, Doc, obviously, a famous trumpet player. Yeah. The, instrumental. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about guys like Herb Albert and uh, yeah. Chuck, Mangione. Chuck there, Mangione. There was that element in the kind of 70s, but like you mentioned in the 80s, yeah. there wasn't. Well, Chuck Mangione had that hit, Feel So Good. And mm. that was... It was a it was a theme for one of the Olympics. I'm thinking I, I'm remembering that right. I remember hearing that song, and the, there was very few instrumental hits. Very few over the days. There was Chuck Mangione's song, "Feel So Good." There was a band called Spyro Gyra. Yeah. They did a song called "Morning Dance," mm-hmm. and the, and they always say when you once you have an instrumental hit, it's the kiss of death. Your career's over after that. You get one, and that's it. So after Songbird became a hit, the the questions I got was, well, you know, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for you, right? I go. <laughs> I don't see why. Well, what are you going to do next? I go, I don't know. I, I just wrote, I wrote, I didn't write Songbird to be a hit. I just wrote a, what I, I'm just going to write another instrumental. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I wrote another one and, and it did, it was a hit too. So I, I broke the spell. See, and the thing is, there's a couple of things. One that you mentioned that something that doesn't happen a lot of building an artist. Like you mentioned Clive giving you, you know, three, four records to go. Because you look back at, you know, you're talking about Metallica or the Stones or yeah. ACDC or any really big rock band. We're yeah. given, you two, given two, three, four chances. Yeah. It's not like that now. No. One album, you're done. That's right. So the, chan- the, the fact you got to build that and build your fan base was, was a pretty cool thing on Clive's part. I was really happy that they stuck with me. And uh, I'm glad that, I mean, but they also knew that I wasn't going to just sit there and let them tell me what to do. I mean, Clive and I, we've had, we have a great relationship. Uh, but even after that, it was Clive would throw songs at me and I didn't like them. And he would always say to me, listen, man, you got to listen to me. I know what's best for you. I said, Clive, you know, yes, but <laughs> I, I'm not doing that. He goes, yes, but you know, you have to trust me. I said, okay, where are we compromising, Clive? Mm-hmm. Okay, if you want me to trust you on this, then I need to have that. And we would work out these things, and it would, and it was okay. What were some of the suggestions? Vocalists or other people's songs? Or he would, uh, he always wanted. He said that you, you never wanted to give an album of too much of what they expect. So they would expect more songs like my Songbird, and so I. They, he just, you don't want an album like that. You want to have different things. So we need to put some vocals in there. I said, okay, but but there's got to be the right vocals. I said, Clive, get Whitney Houston to sing on one of my. Because mm. I can't get Whitney. Uh, so then he says, but uh, how about Tony Braxton? And she was an unknown. I go, let me let me hear her. Oh yeah, I like her. She's good. So she sang on something. Aaron Neville sang on a song. We did. Um, so you're working with very soulful singers. Very soulful. It was always it was always R and B to match. Yeah. yeah. Did you to ever match. work with Whitney at all? I did. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I played on uh, one of her songs on one of her records. I was on her 1987 tour. Mm-hmm. I was really? her opening act. Yeah. Oh no kidding. Yeah, okay. we did like 50 shows. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She was. You know, I don't say this with any disrespect. She wasn't a great performer. I mean, everybody will, that went. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying she. She didn't. She sounded amazing. But I'm saying visually, if you watched mm-hmm. her, it wasn't like she put on a a, a, a show that that visually went. You made you go wow. But she sounded amazing. And maybe so, that's why, because she was concentrating on her vocal. which you know, she's not a lot of room for moving around. I if singing. prefer that myself. Yeah. I just. I don't really care about the visual as much. But, but, um, I just remember the tour not being any. It wasn't. It wasn't a big deal. But. I remember sitting in with her one night. She asked me to to do a duet with her on this one song, and it was great. And I loved it. And I just wanted to do it every night, but it was only it only happened once. One invitation. It was awesome, though. One of the best natural singing voices, probably ever. I think. Whitney, I know? think so. Yeah. Yeah, I liked her voice better than any other. And I think she's my favorite of all time. Mm-hmm. Celine Dion's close second. Mm-hmm. She's she's got an amazing voice, and I played on one of her records too. Really? Yeah. 
I knew Celine before she was she was a big star. She used to open for Michael Bolton. Oh, okay. And Bolton and I did a whole bunch of gigs together. So I knew Celine pretty well. And on one of her earlier records, I before she became really famous, they had mm. asked me if I would play a solo for her. And I remember her being super excited about me playing a solo. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking now. I don't think she'd be quite as excited <laughs> about it now, but, but she I, was then. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. I remember when you kind of broke into the scene because being a, was a big music fan in the 80s, I was more of a rock guy. But yeah. Kenny G, very easy name to remember. Yeah. What is your real last name? Gorlick. Gorlick, okay. Yeah. So not the most rock and roll no. uh, show business of names. No. But by just going to G, once again, it's, it's a very memorable thing. If I had a last name like Jericho, I wouldn't have changed it. <laughs> well, the thing is, my <laughs> real last name is not Jericho. It's Irvin. <laughs> oh. So that's it. Irvin's not going to really sell no, a lot of tickets Jericho's either. Jericho's a awesome so Jericho name. and G, we got it. Yeah, we got we it. Got it. So, and then, of course, <laughs> we mentioned earlier, your hair was very much of a yeah. trademark. So when, you were, so when you're talking about touring in the 80s, and the 80s is a very decadent uh, time frame. For, yeah. For some, was it the same for, for a saxophone player going on the road? It could, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a lot of stuff out there that, right. that could have been, you know, you had and... Uh, and we were young too, so like we were in our, gosh, we were let's see, twenties, uh, yeah, we late twenties, early thirties. So you know, we had a, we had a young audience too. So it wasn't like like now when we go out and play, we have an older audience, mm-hmm. but they grew up with us. So back in the day, we were a, a bunch of young people out yeah, there, yeah. and they loved us just like they would love a Metallica show. <laughs> Not quite as crazy <laughs> as as that, but. Um, it was great though. We we um, used to play like 120, 130 shows a year, and then then I had kids, and I cut that back. Right. And then I just didn't play as many. And now that my kids are gone, I'm I'm open to playing more shows, but it's not as easy to play as many shows these days. And we, we were said, just talking a little right. bit earlier about that. It's so much about touring now for bands that everybody's out on the road. Gosh, yeah. There's so much going on. There's so many shows. There's so many people making records. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard. It really mm. is. It's hard to. I'm. I'm glad I have a name established because. Sure. But to start over and start to get established now would be. I think would be really tough. You know, selling you know seventy million records or whatever maybe. Yeah. Will there be an artist that does that ever again? No, I don't think any artist you ever. Know, yeah. Not necessarily instrumentalist. It's right. Yeah, the times are. Yeah, because, you know, I like the new era in some ways. I like it because with the touch of a button. Everybody can hear your music, mm-hmm. and you don't have to leave the house. Mm-hmm. You know, you have you can have a hundred million people watch you play. I get that, but I I miss the fact that there's no the the mystery of an artist. I miss that because everybody knows too much about everybody now. Right. You're easily accessible, and before, if I wanted to see, let's say, I want to see Earth, Wind, and Fire, I have to go to a Earth, Wind, and Fire concert. I have to go there so I could see their see their bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't. There's no video of them. Yeah. Couldn't see a video because we didn't have video. Right. You couldn't YouTube anything. There wasn't YouTube. You couldn't look up anything. You had to go to a show. And if you wanted to hear their music, you had to buy their yeah. music. And that's the only way you could get it. I, I miss those days for that, for that part of it. And I'm, not, I'm not talking about from the money stance. Mm. I'm talking about from the mystique. From mystique yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if you want to find out what the set list is, you can look it up online. Yeah. All that, so I used to love going to the show and yeah. like, what's the next song going to be? Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't, I try and have the willpower. I'm not going to read the set list this time. I do it every time. You know, yeah. I, I want to know what the band is going to play. And I'm excited. They're playing this obscure song. They're playing this here. 
I like to know before I even go. Before you'd be waiting to hear yeah. that song, and it would be so much more of a surprise. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm embracing all the new technology mm-hmm. as well. Even though I say I wish it wasn't here, I do wish you it wasn't to. here. But I, but but it is, and so I do embrace it. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I don't like having my iPhone around, but I always carry it with me. Actually, right and Good. if you don't have it with you, you feel straight. Oh, it's right it there. Is. We yeah. see it. And I don't. And I don't like the fact that I'm carrying it all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't fa- like the fact that that when it buzzes, I immediately check and see what yeah. message comes in because I'm excited to see the message. But I was thinking, what did I do before this? Let me see. I was. What would I do? I'd just be sitting, kind of waiting. Yeah. Right. Like, what if I was standing in a line? What would I be doing? If I was standing in a line now, I just I'm busy Your checking phone. messages. I would just be kind of looking around. Yeah. And what would I... I might actually might talk to somebody. And <laughs> Heaven forbid. I might have some thoughts. I might be daydreaming about something. But those <laughs> yeah. days are over. And like stopping at a red light, you're checking your phone. Or, oh, I or know. Or even on the plane now with Wi-Fi. It's like if I, when I go over to like England or something, yeah. you can't have it over the water. I'm going crazy. Six hours with no phone? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like yeah. How, how nuts is that, And right? I love it because there's no... I have no... Um, there's no excuse now. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, because if if I if I have a no, if I have an opportunity to check my messages, I feel like I should. Yeah. But if I can't, I'm free. Yeah. Oh, I, everybody, whoever's trying to get a hold of me, sorry, I mm-hmm. I was flying over to Asia. Yeah. I, but but I think they even have it now. Wi-Fi International now. I think you're know, oh. talking about going to China. Oh, I don't like that. From China. Now, let's talk about China. It's it's funny. We'll, we'll tell the story in a couple of seconds. But you're massive. Yeah. In China. Massive. How does how does you know the Jewish <laughs> dude from Seattle playing alto sax get massive in China of all Gosh. places? You know. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I guess what happens is you. Do, I've gone to Asia a lot. I just kept going back. But one of my songs got really popular there. What one song, song called "Going Home." Going home. It's. I don't know why and how, but it did. Somehow it got into. Honestly, it's as popular as "Happy Birthday." Happy Birthday in the States. My song "Going Home" in China. It's as well known as that. Really? Every everybody knows my song "Going Home." Is this something that they play? I've heard they play it like at the end of the day. Yeah. Or so it's like so. It's like the anthem of the work is over, sort of thing. Pretty much, it's a yeah. And but I mean, at the end of the day, everywhere, a department store is closing. There's played, uh, Tiananmen Square is played, a Forbidden City played, um, on the trains played, in bathrooms played. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, whatever they anywhere, everywhere at four o'clock in the afternoon, you hear my song played, and everybody goes, hmm. It's time to go home. So, I don't know how it started that way, but it's it's such a popular song. When I was in China just uh, last couple of weeks, like I would go down to the hotel um, restaurant to have whatever breakfast because I always really like the uh, breakfast buffets they have in Asia. They're awesome, <laughs> folks. If you can ever go, I mean, there's the noodle station. They sometimes they have a sushi station. They've got like a a, a dim sum station. <laughs> but, yeah, they got the eggs. They got yeah. the, they got waffles. They got all the stuff. But they have all these other things. So I'm sitting there eating, and all of a sudden I hear my song come up, and I look up. And the waitresses are, are, are they're snickering over there, kind of pointing, they're waving at me, and it keeps playing. They just keep repeating it. It must have played like 30 times while I'm having breakfast. I'm going, I gotta leave so people don't have to get sick of this song. Yeah, like, I'm sick of it, right? You know. Uh, but it's it's a, it's one of those things. It's a, it's a phenomenon. Um, when did you first hear about it? I've known about it for 20 years, but uh, does someone just say, "Hey, man, you're not gonna believe this"? Like I heard somebody. I think what happened was I heard, actually was there and I heard it. I was in a, I was in an obscure bathroom hmm. in the middle of some tiny little place. And I was playing golf somewhere. I was, I was there doing something and I, I had a golf outing. And so I was, I mean, not in a major city, somewhere way out in the middle of nowhere. This and is I'm in China. In China. Hmm. And I'm in the bathroom and I hear the song. I go, wow, that's my song going home. Hmm. 
And I asked about it. They go, oh, yeah, it's very popular here. I said, what do you mean? Oh, yeah, everybody plays it. And then I started to realize that how popular it is. The problem is that I, don't, I didn't get any royalties on it. <laughs> so I said, I said to some of my business associates over there that I said, so how many records do you think I've sold in China? I said, I don't know. They said maybe somewhere around 150 million. I said, wait, you mean 150,000? No, 150 million. What? I said, you're my record company. Why aren't you collecting the royalties? Can't, it doesn't work that way. What, what do you, why? It's, that's just, they're all pirated. Oh. When I say sold, I mean like, well, so when you go on the streets and you can go to the markets. Mm-hmm. Like I went to the market. I said, I want to buy a Kenny G record. They don't know my face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at least then. So I bought one. 90 cents. Hmm. I took it home. I opened it up, played it. It was it was a music of it was a guitar player's album inside of a case that had my oh, my stuff on it. Wow, that's what they do. Really? Yeah. That, well, I don't know if they still do it, but yeah. it's pretty much. Yeah, it's as far as royalties are concerned. It's, I've heard it's like that in South America too, where it's yeah, just a lot of just bootlegs, bootlegs. Yeah, pirates, lots of bootlegs and pirates. You know? Yeah. But so when you go to China though and play live, people yeah. are coming to your show. They're that's coming to my show. Yeah. Paid on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, is... I save going home toward the end of the set. Obviously, <laughs> I always say to them, "We're going to play a very special song to you for you right now." But please, we have more music. We have some songs after this, so don't go home. <laughs> and then they go, "Oh!" And they got to do. I can hear. And then we play it. And I'm looking. Anybody? Don't don't. And then and then you know you you know like twenty or thirty people just get up and start walking just out. Just have it. They just had to have it. They got to go home. Dog. Yeah, Pavlovian response. <laughs> they don't, they don't, I, we got more stuff to play. Don't you want to hear? <laughs> no. So what was, what was China like twenty years ago when you first started going there? Because there's been a lot of advances over the last four, five, six years. But yeah, twenty years ago it was still communist China, right? It's, it's still the still is. Yeah, yeah, not much has changed really. Oh, okay. oh yeah, yeah. They want to know your set list. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately for me, I'm an instrumentalist, so I serve no. I, I pose no problems. You know, no no lyrics that could, wow, you know, okay. be something that the government doesn't want their their citizens to hear. Even song title wise, everything's cool. Everything's cool. Okay, yeah. Um, so, but they want to know, and then I give my song titles, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. But the but it's China's very interesting. Uh, we played um, a few years ago. We were playing a concert. Can't remember which city. Big storm outside. Huge storm. And we're playing. And I'm in the middle of the set. Now our set's like an hour and 45 to two hours long. We're like not even an hour into the set. And I'm playing one of my songs, playing one of my solos. And, you know, you know, you're, we all have peripheral vision. So my peripheral vision, I feel like somebody's walking towards me on the stage, which is unusual because my guys are all playing their instruments. Nobody's going to be walking towards me. So I'm playing, and I, so now I look to where my vision, and there's a lady in a uniform walking towards me. And I'm playing. I'm in mid-note. And I'm still playing. She whispers into my ear. She goes, uh, weather outside, very bad. Government would like show to be over now. And I wow. looked, and, and I'm playing. And I nodded, and I said, okay. And so we ended the show, and everybody was going home. See you and later, yeah. you know what? I thought, I thought in, a, in a way that's, that's actually really kind of, in a way, very comforting. Mm-hmm. They cared about people. Yeah, 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 It wasn't that they wanted to do anything except care about their right. people. So I like that a lot. You know, we did China for the first time in 2010 in Shanghai. And um, list of rules, no, I can't remember what it was, but no punching, no choking, no yeah. You know, we're all show business anyways. Yeah. But those moves were banned. Nothing on the floor. Yeah. No flying outside onto the floor. Oh, oh, yeah. And we were told it's a sold-out show. Yeah. And when I remember walking to the the ring, which is in the middle of this big hall, and there's nobody in there, mm. and I'm like, how how is this sold out? There's like 
pockets of people here and there was a table with some dignitaries with like that bunting that you see like you know in a James Bond oh. movie with the officials man and then the upper deck was was jam packed oh what happened was the government bought all the tickets and only gave out a fraction of them because they were afraid that people would riot yeah if they too saw many people they around. didn't like yeah because yeah. it's a violent show mm. and still not understanding that it's yeah. a show mm. we went back a couple of weeks ago and it was a whole different vibe the people oh. knew what was going on there yeah. was no rules they were involved in the show so there's been an advancement at least they're understanding what we do yeah different from before uh, I think musically it's not much has changed and, 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 and you accept the rules this is their country that's right I always think when I'm going over there I'm not going over there to change anything uh, it's their rules so yeah. If that's the way it is, that's the way it is. Yeah, and, to, and we we just abide by it. You know, some nights they allow me to sell CDs after the shows, and some nights they don't. Hmm. So why not? Well, because they're afraid of security. Yeah, yeah. I said, okay. Uh, is there any way around it? No. Okay. <laughs> Done. All right. All right. So I said, is there? Is there I, I mean, I don't mind pushing. I'll keep pushing to see if I can get my way. But ultimately, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you can't change the yeah. rules. You know. I, I like going over there. People are they're super excited to see, mm-hmm. you know, performers from the West, which they don't see a lot of right. because there's there's a big filtering process. You know, I'm, I'm some performers don't get to play there. Right. If they've ever, you know, if they are ever seen in the wrong light and the government doesn't think that they want them over, they don't come over. And that's their yes, that's their prerogative. Which is so and it's so funny because we just happened we've met today for the first yeah. time and realized that we were over in China at the same time, staying at the same hotel yeah. at the Marriott over same there. Same hotel at the Which same is so night. funny, man. I'm so like, you know, you did run into some of our guys. Yeah. But it's just like what a crazy thing. We were in the same hotel on the same night. I saw one of your wrestlers. Do you have women wrestlers too? Yeah. Okay, I saw one of them at breakfast. Oh really? She was uh Super in shape. She was like had a couple of some tattoos. She was wearing some sort of very very leotardish kind of thing, uh. wrestling type. And I I think I went up to her and said something like, uh, "You must be part of the wrestling thing." And she just kind of looked at me, didn't say anything back, but whatever. <laughs> really? but, I, but I knew I knew that was. I wonder what I said, color hair does she have? I wonder. Was she it was it short black hair? Short black hair. I'm wondering, trying to figure out who it was. I was trying to think it was over there. Charlotte was over there. Are there any, do you have any Asian uh, wrestlers? We we might have. I can't, I'm trying to remember. Like I said, this tour was really crazy, but yeah. I know you met John Laurinaitis. Yes, I met him. Yeah, he was kind of yeah. running the show. But that's so funny. Like, what a small world, right? Just r- randomly in the same place. At the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, um, one of my friends over there runs a, uh, AEG. His mm. name's Adam Wilkes. The live. And, live, yeah. Live and they were putting on your event. Oh, okay. So I had dinner with him the night before, and he says, hey, I'm coming over to your hotel to talk to the wrestling guys at noon. Um, let's let's meet up, too. I said, oh, okay. Well, I said, <laughs> what's going on? Oh, yeah, they're doing something at the Mercedes-Benz Arena. Yeah. I said, oh, cool. So it was like all connected in a yeah, weird was, way. That's have you ever had any of those random meetings on the road over the years where you run into somebody that's different that you wouldn't expect? Yeah, I ran into, um, I don't know if you're much into golf, uh, mm-hmm. but if but if you're- You're the, a big golfer. I like, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a, the most famous name in golf as terms of putters is a guy named Scotty Cameron. Mm-hmm. Scotty Cameron, when you, name him, when you name Scotty Cameron, he is like the divine entity <laughs> when it comes to putters. He right. makes the best putters in the world. So, and I know Scotty Cameron. He's a, he's, he's a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And I was in Tokyo, and I was uh, I took the I was at the Park Hyatt Hotel, and the elevator comes down, and you're on the 41st floor. That's where the lobby is. I get down there. As I'm walking, there's a guy sitting. I just to my right, 
Scotty Cameron sitting right there and said, <laughs> what the heck are you doing in Tokyo? <laughs> he looks at me like, well, we shouldn't. So he's very popular there because his putters are super right. uh, sought after. And so he's doing some special private thing that mm -hmm. he's doing. And, that, and I was doing my show there and it was cool. Running through yeah. the lobby. Out of nowhere. <laughs> so if you're talking about like, a, like, like if you're touring a lot and a singer, if you get, you know, a sore throat, it hurts you. If, if you're a guitar player and maybe your, your fingers are getting some arthritis or something. For a sax player... Has there ever been times when, like, you start feeling sick on the road? Is there something that happens where it's hard, harder for you to play? Um, well, it would be hard if I had a big, a big stomachache. That would oh. be very tough because you know, I just feel nauseous. But right, I, I'm. You know what I do? I just eat the same thing every day, and I don't get sick on the road. That's what I do. I have sushi at two o'clock. But if you have like, a, like, let's say you get sick and you get a sore throat, does that affect your no. sex? Okay, it's nothing. No, it just affects when I talk. Right. Oh, yeah. I go, oh, stop talking, keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually like a, a pretty good instrument. Yeah. To not. There's really no reason that you couldn't play up to up to par. Yeah, and I can play show day after day. Like singers right. usually have to, maybe they do two shows and they have to take a day or two break yeah. for their show. And I don't. We can play, we 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 can play two shows a night, ten nights in a row if we have to. So you never get tired, or I guess as long as you have wind in your lungs, yeah. you can do it, right? No problem. It's just the it's the travel that's hard. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. We we on the road say that we don't get paid for our we don't get paid to play we get paid to travel. That's I don't know if you can say that too. Yeah, is that what he Cooper, says? Yeah, he's like, okay, so that's get, where I came from. I don't get paid for the show. I get paid for the twenty two and a half hours it takes to get to the that's show. That's right. We do the show for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, and that and that's part of uh, of the of the touring life. I mean, do you enjoy being on the road? I do. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. You know, um, uh, all the guys now we've been playing together 25, 30 Same years. Same band. Same band. Wow. So we all, you know, it's a big big brotherhood yeah, out there bunch of dudes we, hanging out. we love each other and it's we know each other mm -hmm. it's fun mm -hmm. it really is fun the the hard part is when we have a bad logistical sure. group of dates together yeah, yeah. and and you know it's funny because we start with a blank page and you think you should be able to do it and make it right and it's venue availability and so sometimes mm -hmm. you find yourself backtracking and some, it's it's some, weird. Some of the tours we get put on sometimes in Europe, we call them the Star of David tour because oh. it's north, south, east, west. It's like you're making the Star of David That's right. from all the gigs that you're doing. So yeah. Why can't we just start here and drive two hours there instead of driving eight hours and then ten hours back? That's right. Place, because know? the 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 hall wasn't available that next right. day. Right, right, right. That's exactly. what happens. Exactly. Yeah. I, I was I was looking at something, and you're talking about your your, your wind control and your mm. your, your lungs. Uh, the longest note of yeah, all long time in the Guinness Book of World on Records? the sax on the saxophone. I think somebody on a clarinet beat me. I I heard. That's Son of a bitch! I know. I gotta. I've got to go back and get him. We'll destroy them. I will. I will. I'm waiting. See, I'm. I, it's it's such a promotional stunt mm -hmm. to do that I gotta wait till I have something to promote. <laughs> you know, like I could go do it. I could go do it tomorrow and probably. I mean, my plan would be to beat the one and a half hours on the clarinet. I would do it on my sax then. I, I think I can do it. How long was the note that you? Forty five minutes. A forty five minute continuous like. Wee, yeah. Yeah. How do you do that? You have to breathe at the same time. Through your nose. Through your nose. But you're still exhaling. You can't stop exhaling. I don't even know how you can. I'm I trying know. to do that it's, right now. Like, it's, you use your cheek muscles. You use your air in your cheeks and wow. breathe at the same time. Yeah. So a clarinet did an hour and a half? I guess so. I heard that anyway. I don't know. I didn't really research. I just heard it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even just playing a note for 45 minutes, it must be kind of boring after. You, Super boring. You kind of go like into torture mentality where yeah. you, your mind's in another place. That's exactly right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's really, really boring. <laughs> um, but I'm going to try to do it. So I'll wait till I come out with a new CD um, when um, probably next year sometime. And then we'll hopefully like that'll be the big launch will be me breaking the record. And <laughs> But I need to actually feel like I want to do something while I'm breaking it to keep my interest going. Like I would like to... 
I don't know. I always thought I could be on a flight that was like an hour and a half flight. Oh. The problem is that I'm up at altitude, so there's less less yeah. air, so yeah. it's going to be harder just in general Maybe to do it. Maybe your ears pop or something. I mean, who mm. knows, right? Who knows? Maybe but kick a soccer ball against the wall or something like that. Something, or just maybe I could walk. Maybe I could just keep walking. That would. That would I, I'm sure I could do a better job if I could keep walking. Just keep you keep yourself occupied. Yeah. Maybe walk or maybe watch a watch a movie. Well, <laughs> yeah, but the problem is that the Guinness people, if they're going to be there, they're 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 going to have their parameters. Like they're, I think that you can't fluctuate things with the note like it can't get too loud or too soft it has to be within some ranges of things because i asked them i think when i was doing this I said can i just flutter can i i mean i'll continually be playing mm-hmm. but can i change the note a little bit because my finger is going to get tired just holding my finger in that position for two hours you know mm-hmm. i gotta hold a key down just put your hand in that position and go like well shit after a while i gotta let my finger go oh, and it won't right, go right 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 yeah so um no they said nope nope you can't. I said, well, can I just tape down the saxophone so that I'm not actually holding the the actual keys that I need to hold down? Just tape them down, and then I'll just it'll be the note I want to play. The note, yeah. Nope. Oh. So that was that was one of the hard things was my fingers were just getting really tired of like putting the pressure sure. on that key. I love how there's so many rules for the longest saxophone. Like so many people have tried this, they have it down to a science where there's a list of rules. I know. <laughs> well, I'll do it again. I'm gonna. I, I'm, I've got to have the longest. Here we go. You heard it here. Kenny's gonna, he's gonna win it. He's gonna get it. It's funny. When I walked in here, uh, something that you don't expect to see in uh, Kenny G's studio is an Amana Marth DVD, a oh. Lamb of God DVD, a Megadeth, <laughs> Paul Gilbert. It's uh, some pretty heavy stuff over there. Yeah, it's my son's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my son uses this room with his guitar playing. Uh, but you see the the picture there with me and Andrea Bocelli when we did a special in uh, Tuscany. It was his. His special. Oh, okay. David Foster was involved. There's David, there's David yeah, Foster. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting there, and uh, it was a really fun night. So at least That's I got cool. some of my, so, yeah, my stuff in there. When you're talking about your son playing guitar, I mean, he's, he's, he likes playing heavy music. Do you do you understand that type of music at all? Do you ever listen to anything heavier or rocking? Like if someone wants to wind down, they'll put on a Kenny G. That's right. If you want to wind up, yeah. what do you, you put on? Well, yeah, yeah. I, well, I <laughs> do put you do on, that? I put on my my old old school jazz. Oh, okay. You know, I do that, yeah, with the, with the up tempo bebop stuff. But I've been to um, I've been to a couple Megadeth shows. I've been to an really? Opeth show because uh, my my son wanted to go, sure. and and I'm his I'm his backstage pass. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can go backstage pretty much any concert I want, right? So, <laughs> even for the Megadeth show, so right? even the Megadeth show, it's like they go, what? Like I get there and like people are going, what are you doing here? And then everybody's like, it's I'm like a novelty, and they everybody wants to take a picture with me <laughs> yeah. because like, why are you here? There's Kenny G at the heavy metal show. I know. So it was cool. But my, a lot of times I get these guys at the shows that go, hey, man, my mom really likes your music. Can you take a picture with me so I can show my mom? <laughs> sure. Do you appreciate the musicianship in, in music like Absolutely, that? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Because I, one thing about the heavy, heavy metal music that I like is the, the, the shredding guitar players. Mm. You know, like an Eddie Van Halen. I don't know if he would consider, be considered heavy but, metal, but, but you know what I'm talking about. everybody in heavy yeah. metal for sure. Yeah, yeah. and, and that's, that's the kind of thing I like. Is I, and I was telling my son, you you should you need to be a master of your instrument. You can figure out songs and chords and power chords and all that kind of stuff. That will come. But you need to. I, I, my advice to you is practice and become like a virtuoso on the instrument, so you can just kind of you can play faster than anybody else and better than anybody else. And the songwriting and all the power chords and all that stuff that'll be super easy. Mm-hmm. And if you learn it now, it'll be easier to learn it now. So he um, he took my advice and he practiced uh, a lot. And he's 22 now, and he's awesome. I mean, he can wail on mm-hmm. that thing. He shreds. He's super fast, and um, and he's writing all his own music. So he's um, I, I think that he, I think he's going to do well. I think he, I don't mean 
is he going to become a famous guitar player? I, I don't see why he can't be. Mm-hmm. But like and, you said, it's a different world. That my name's not going to help him, by the right, way. Right, it, sure, yeah. it might help him in, in the sense might, a door might open, mm-hmm. but it won't make any difference. I mean, a, a door can open, but if, you know, if you're not good enough, it's just going to close. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, but he, I, but he's good enough that he can right, he right. could be a, he could be a, a super superstar. Just depends just on this. Right? Uh, you never know. As as we get down to the last few questions, have you ever jammed with a, with a, with a band before? Like you know, like some like someone's playing Brown Sugar and you jump in and do the solo. No, no, <laughs> no. But I but I but I told I, I told the Megadeth guys and I told the Opeth guys I said guys, listen. There's no reason you can't have a sax solo in some of your music. You know, that's absolutely right. You know, it's funny because we're writing our new record right now. Our band is called Fozzie. Yeah. And I was talking to my partner, Rich Ward. I was like, dude, we need to put a saxophone solo in one of our songs. Is it heavy metal? Yeah. It's heavy Great. stuff. Yeah. Because like, it's always, but it's, it's not like super heavy. We're yeah. more of like if Journey and Metallica had a oh, bastard yeah. child. There you but, go. Like, we need to have a sax solo because it's such a great instrument. And every time you hear a sax solo in a rock song, yeah. like I said, Brown Sugar is one of the best examples. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it just, it, it kills it. And it yeah. changes changes the vibe of the same old stuff over and yeah. over again you know I don't, I don't see why more bands don't don't do that i you know i told the, the metal guys that listen whatever shredding you're doing i can do on my sax so if you wanted to actually like let's say you want to play a solo and we want to do a duo a duo solo mm-hmm. or playing together i'll play the notes you're playing wow. and it would be super cool i mean people would be impressed that all that stuff is going on that you can shred yeah. on the sax yeah it'd be fun so anyway i put it out there but n- nothing's happened yet i did get a call from uh, warren g to do a, a rap song with him so Katie we we did that on on Jimmy Kimmel, and that was kind of cool. Huge, right? Yeah. That was cool. That went viral too. It was, I it was that. easy though. I mean, that was pretty, very fairly easy because I just kind of just I played the, the like I guess the actual song had another vocalist. Okay, and so I just played the other vocalist part on my sax. It was pretty easy. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't really I didn't really do much, but it was cool. Everybody thought it was but a really cool thing. Again, it's out, it's you outside of your box, yeah. and him outside of his box yeah. on a sax player. Because like I said, I think I think saxophone is the most underrated uh, inst- instrument in rock and roll. Music. I think so too, especially. When you deal with rock and roll started in the yeah. 50s everyone had a sax player yeah yeah then. yeah yeah you know just the way that kind of was there's some famous sax solos man in some of those old rock songs yeah from I, the from those that from the from the area you're talking yeah. about you know talking about fast domino type yeah. stuff and, and all that so you've ever watched happy days richie cunningham was always on the yeah the sax so just uh, i want to ask you one uh, a couple more questions but talking about uh, starbucks investor one of the earliest starbucks investors is you Yes. Because of the Seattle connection? Yeah. How was this brought to you? Did you yeah. just like say, oh, because who would have ever thought that a high-priced coffee shop would become the worldwide sensation that it is? Howard Schultz thought that, you know, the Explain. CEO. Well, okay. he, he's the one. He's the one that had the dream. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, he started in Seattle, and there was a one there was one Starbucks there. He, he took over the company and wanted to raise a bunch of money to go and sp- expand and, and do this this dream that he had that he felt that it would be he always called it the third place like there's the home the workplace he said there was the third place that was missing in in the at least in america like a place to hang out yeah he said he saw it in europe like he said that he went to europe in italy and he saw people go gathering at these coffee shops and having their espressos and it was another place where they just hung and mm-hmm. almost like a bar in mm-hmm, a sense sure. but not a bar right and he felt like that was something that america would embrace and so he wasn't i don't think it was as much about coffee as it was about this environment or maybe it was equal parts to both but he that the was his dream and he raised money and my uncle was one of his first investors and he told me that he thought that it would be a good investment and I should meet Howard and I did and I I was really kind of won over by his personality. What year was this? This was 19... Is it 80s or 90s? Yeah, it was 80s. It was 87, 86, 87. 
Wow. 88, somewhere around there. So you're yeah. basically just starting your run yeah. as a solo artist as well. But I had sold enough records to where I could write a, a sizable check yeah. to somebody to make an investment. So I did. Oh my gosh, dude. That I must know. have paid off. It did. Times a zillion. Oh, a zillion. Probably made more off Starbucks than you have off seventy-five million albums. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe cl- maybe they're both about the same. But dude, that is crazy. Yeah, man. it's crazy. I know. Um, but Howard's a wonderful guy, and he's. I'm shocked. Not shocked. I'm just uh, shocked in a way. Like, wow! Can you believe how mm. much Starbucks has grown? How it caught on. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how many Starbucks there are now. Forty thousand everywhere, though. Everywhere. Every in China too. I was just gonna say that. I saw one in China. I saw tons in China. But see, that's that's a great point. It's the social aspect of it. Yeah. Because we're social, you know, beings, and it's yeah. the place to go and hang out. You know, yeah. sit down there and go on Wi-Fi and see what's going on. That's that's I never thought about that before. It's a great point. Yeah, it's a great point. Last question for you. What's your favorite song to uh, to play live hmm well i think probably my favorite is a song called silhouette mm-hmm. because i i it's a song that's um a familiar melody everybody loves that song but it's also a, a it, there's a big open area for improvisation so every night it's different i can just wail and do my thing and uh, that's what i like about it mm-hmm. it's it's there's it's not locked into an arrangement so it's it's open, and some nights it's I play really great on it. Some nights I wish I had a do-over. <laughs> I did, and, and you can't. So I wait till the next night to kind of go do back you, and get it Do you again. do that uh, quite often during your sets, uh, improv oh, solos? Yeah. You try and keep it pretty much exactly the no, same no, as the No, no, we record. all, lots of improv. Yeah. Always, I mean, most songs are improv. Most songs have melodies that I play, mm-hmm. and then after the melodies are over, there's sections where it just kind of happens. You just and we, jam with we the guys? We just jam with the guys, yeah. and... And then that's how you have the really, really special nights because it's not it's not set in stone. That's right. Even yeah. like with our with our band, we have certain songs that are you know you play them the way this was played, and those other ones that have that jam element. That's yeah. always the fun part. It's always Whether the you fun want part. to do sing along or solo a trade offs or whatever. That's what you come off stage. Oh, that was what a great show. I know. And then or you come off stage and go, man, we were <laughs> nobody was listening to each other. What happened? Yeah. I don't know, man. I was just I was always spaced out. Even after all these years, <laughs> I said, did we forget how to play that song? We played it every night. Oh, I don't know, man. You know. It was, <laughs> Just kind of tired. Maybe it was jet lag or something. Do you pull? You're so laid back. Do you ever pull a James Brown? Do you find the guys if they hit a clam oh, or something no. like that? <laughs> Never. Fifty dollars. Never. I talked to that Bo- what he does. I talked to Bootsy Collins once, uh, and he was telling me how, at the end of the show, James would give you a, a receipt, a bill, and on that bill would be the clams that you hit. Even ones that you didn't even know that he noticed, he heard everything, wow. and it was fifty bucks a fifty bucks. Seriously, a bad note. yeah. <gasps> you know, here's two hundred fifty bucks. You hit a clam. You know, you popcorn. You hit a bad note. Right in the fourth verse. It's like, how do you remember this, man? You Wait, know? but that, but how much money were they making that they could afford fifty bucks a That's what clam? I, you know, I don't know. They couldn't have been making very much. I think it was pretty much like, don't screw up. Oh wow. James Brown won't allow it. Jeez. So. But yeah, you don't have that mentality, man. It's a very laid back, and it's no. very cool talking to you, dude. It's you too. Thank you so much. Awesome. Let's go listen to some Amon and Marth together. Oh gosh. <laughs> Thanks to Kenny G, the uh, true OG of saxophone playing with some great laughs, great stories. Love that Johnny Carson story, man. That's so cool. And thanks uh, uh, for for all the behind-the-scenes saxophone wizardry stories uh, from one of the greatest of all time at his instrument, the best in the world at what he does. And I'm really excited about Kenny G. And like I said, uh, the secret project in the works, uh, hopefully with uh, with Kenny and Fozzie, uh, which is going to blow your mind. And we've got some confirmed... the. First tour dates for the Fozzie, uh, Fozzie's next tour. We got the Lunatic Luau 
in May 5th. That's uh, in uh, Virginia Beach. Canton, Georgia, May 6th. Carolina Rebellion, May 7th. Northern Invasion, May 14th. Rocklahoma, May 26th. River City Rockfest, May 27th. The BFD Festival, May 28th. And of course, in England, Download on June 7th. The main stage. Uh, opening for Aerosmith. So that's pretty cool. It's a pretty good week winning the U.S. championship. The first title I've never had, which I did not know, makes me a Grand Slam champion. There's only seven of us of all time, and I'm one of them. Uh, long, hard road to get that title, and it was very cool to see my kids' reactions when they came home and saw that I'd won the title. So, uh, And then also opening for Aerosmith. It's it's going to be a good 2017 for all, uh, for me and for all of you as well. i got lots of great stuff planned inside the WWE, outside the WWE. I know you'll stick with me uh, no matter where it is I go, including uh, here on Podcast One. And if you want to support Talk is Jericho, easiest way to do that is via the Amazon links, which of course uh, you've heard about this if you've been listening to any of these shows. You click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page on PodcastOne.com. Then you hit the Talk is Jericho button. If they're alphabetical order, all the shows will pop up. Just go to T for Talk is Jericho. Amazon links for USA, UK, Canada. Every time you use the Talk is Jericho Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production costs. Buy anything you can think about Amazon and using them links won't cost you anything extra. No hidden fees, extra charges. Just go to podcast1.com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page. Hit the Talk is Jericho button. You'll find all my other great sponsors there too. ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. 25% off all DDPY merch. And when you buy a max pack or combo pack, you get a second for 50% off. The price is already 25% off. We love that. Uh, Naturebox. Go to naturebox.com slash Jericho. Get 50% off your first order. CISO. Sign up at CISO.com. Have a laugh. Use the promo code podcast1 to get two months for free. And go check out also all the great shows on the Jericho Network, including the latest edition, the huge hit, Beyond the Darkness, a blockbuster hit right out of the gate. This week, they're talking about Sasquatches. Uh, they've talked about Shadow People, back of Black Eyed Kids. Uh, Dave and Tim from Beyond the Darkness will guaranteed to keep you scared all night long. All night long. So hit the subscribe button for all the Jericho Network shows while you're there. Team Tiger Awesome, killing the town with Storm and Cyrus, and of course, keeping it 100 with Conan. Uh, that's all those shows are on there. Subscribe. Uh, stars listen have a great time and just enjoy yourself man i appreciate it thank you for listening keep listening for the 60 second ap news headlines coming up next and coming up on the friday episode of curly haired kenny week one of the most uh hotly contested uh prospects right now a lot of uh debate on where his future is talking about fellow winnipegger Kenny Omega is going to be here with the special guest co-host of Cyrus. So it's three Winnipeggers talking about Winnipeg, talking about wrestling. You're not going to hear Kenny uh, Omega on any other podcast uh, doing things the way that we're doing it here on Talk is Jericho on Friday. Omega, Jericho, Cyrus, come check us out. Peace, love, and hugs, eh? We'll see you then on Friday for a Winnipeg show. Okay, we'll see you then. Yeah, boy.